begin retreat with a formal beginning. Mm. So these forms that we use, this is a, a, a form of um, inclusion and, and participation and commitment in that you know, we all come from different places, different directions, different bodies, different histories and so on. And so just the important thing is to get the sense of you know, inclusion, so, you know, and everybody in it, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, as much as much of ourselves as we can bring into it, which, uh, depending where your energy's at or, or where your minds are at, you know, at least that's, that's the gesture, the opening gesture is the gathering together. So we use a form to, to uh, as our, as our song, as our, as our thing that we do in common. We're included in it, and uh, so and then there's the commitment, you know, which is so that we've created a certain firmness to the to the boundary or the field that we're creating. Uh, it's a collective field of minds, of energies, of hearts, of skills, and obviously of difficulties. And so then we, we create a protective quality around that, so it's held free from intrusion, uh, obstruction, um, ill will, uh, distraction, you know, so we, since we're contained within this, and so, you know, a form of a retreat, um, generally we even have like a geographical container, you know, so there's room to walk around, but within a certain boundary, so we really you know, um, understand the sense of a container. It's not a prison, but a sense of protection um, from distracting influences or things that are irrelevant at this time, or sometimes directly unwholesome. Naturally, the most important container that we generate is the uh, container of, of virtue, of integrity, the moral precepts. So it's of course if we can really establish this, then we wherever we go, we're we're within our, our moral field, our field of integrity. Mm. And so these are uh, the particular points that we can recognise. They're refraining from killing, stealing, lying. They're not that esoteric, um, and they're just points. But the the whole quality of the uh, you know, of what we're, or these po- points illuminate, or just the like triggering points within is a field of integrity, conscience of concern, which, you know, to others, let me not uh, have negative effects on the minds, the hearts, the bodies of other beings. Um, let me not intrude upon them, uh, their sensitivities. So there's a sense of uh, a restraint that's not so much a shutting each other off, but actually, uh, you know, sensitive and respectful of, of, uh, of each other and, of course, of other creatures. When we begin to cherish this quality of conscience and concern and respect, then that's something we also carry with us, which becomes kind of more strongly felt and feel confident in it. And we can see where we we can lose it. Yeah. Mm. This is where I feel strong and, and upright. Mm. 
Mm. So this sense of that's uh, held with a, a commitment to that. Mm. Naturally, these are all heart fields. Conscious and concern, integrity. These are qualities that uh, mm, qualities of heart. Mm. So not just words or laws, but the heart qualities. Uh, and so if we really uh, get the sense of that, the, the heart, we get that in the heart, it feels, it wakes up. It, oh yeah, you know, this is not just kind of do this, do that, but hey, this is something that's going to, you know, uh, you know, we live life free from regret and have confidence and uh, not be distracted. This is a precious thing, mm. and we protect it. Uh, so conscience and concern, uh, sensitivity. Hiriotapa, it's called the, called the guardians of the world. The two world guardians, Hiri and Otapa, conscience and concern. Mm. So one's own moral conscience and concern for, uh, you know, uh, how one's affecting others. Mm. So, yeah. And you know, along with this, in retreat situation, we also sort of commit to um, you know turning off the f- phone. So, for example, we're very much contained in this location rather than in uh, um, places outside where we get messages that um, uh, take us out or get our minds working in other directions. Um, and even refraining from conversation. Um, of course, conversation can be very heartwarming and encouraging and uplifting and he- good humour. And occasionally just things come out of the corner of your mouth that hit somebody in the wrong direction. Didn't really mean that, it just slipped out or wasn't the right time or the right wasn't that funny at that for that person <laughs> and so on so uh because a lot of our language I- is just t- you know it gets wired in um so we kind of don't really even know what we're really saying and uh so the sense of of refraining from, com- from conversation is not so much shutting everybody off shutting everybody out but actually you know um respect and not not uh, putting one's own energies or messages or signals into other people's minds you know because they, they want to use the occasion to listen to their own conversation you know conversations that may you know we never had a chance to really listen to you know things of regret or sadness or struggle or aspiration or you know they want to really hear those and even things that we've never really heard in ourselves because we've always been too noisy, uh, too chatty, too, uh, uh, yeah, in one way or another. Mm. So in this quality of silence then is uh, an offering we make to each other. We embrace, we embrace each other with that sense of respect and uh, and the deep listening. And of course, when we uh, are holding silence in the right way, then our sense of relationship with others 
has to be expressed in other ways. We can't just use words. So we have to use body language. Um, we have to use cooperative movements. Um, you know, we have to just just radiate it through our hearts and trust that you know other people will receive that. So every gesture that we make of you know cooperation or please go ahead, you know or um, gestures like this uh, when when we're silent they actually have a very strong effect mm. small things have a strong effect sensitivity increases and just the sense of recognizing you know somebody else does notice me <laughs> and see me with regard and you know and they're not just chatting away they're actually aware and, and responsive mm. so body language um, and we will certainly in the retreat be, um, well, I will be offering um, some ways uh, of, of sensing each other, relational experiences, which will mostly be non-verbal. Some, some verbal, a lot of them just partly verbal. Um, so we get a, a sense of really feeling each other, sensing each other, how we're affecting each other. And, um, uh, beginning to overcome some of the difficulties that have occurred in relational experiences. Mm. Now, <coughs> so one of the um, fundamental qualities of what we call a you know a monastic retreat, or mm, I don't know to the extent to which other people do this, but uh, is chanting. Mm. So you have here these uh, little sheets or bunches of sheets, and forget the numbers because the the, the photos started out of books. So we've rearranged them so the most the most frequently used chant will be the beginning, and the one we're only going to use once, which is it's right at the end. So it's both easy access. And we're only going to do it once. So mostly you're using the stuff at the front and occasionally stuff later on. So that's your little book. Um, and um, yeah, take it with you when you go. <laughs> memo. Um, naturally, it, it's, yeah, if you don't, have you ever chanted in Pali, the Buddhist uh, the language of the Theravada scriptures, there can be that kind of struggle with it. Because uh, uh, the words look kind of weird, you know. Once you get it, it's fairly, it doesn't take long to get it because it's a very clean, clear language. It's much easier than English, actually. Because what, what's spelt, once you understand it, gives you an exact um, way of pronouncing it. Whereas English is, what's written is not, doesn't necessarily tell you what the sound is. <laughs> You know, what does GH sound like? <laughs> yeah. um, so these are all there, and, and uh, I'll try to explain some of that. Mm, but, um, you know, we'll have to use the, the sheets, but as much as you can, really, I recommend you learn through your ears, ears and voice. Even if you don't get it quite right, just kind of, bumble along uh, and try to get what other, what, you know, for people who do know how to do it, 
kind of lift their voices and other people just try and lis- learn it so much from the sound as the te- as the written thing. Uh, and this is uh, um, not just the tip in terms of chanting technique, it's actually pointing to a very, um, you know, fundamental mm, quality. Uh, the difference between the written word and the the spoken word. And that's, that's quite significant. And, and it, it, it goes a long way, actually. Mm. Yeah, basically, the um, you know, when we can consider in the time of the Buddha, there was some writing, but not much. And really important things, you didn't write them down. Because writing was a sort of like a bit half-hearted. <laughs> You know, scribbling something on a piece of papyrus or whatever they use. Or the most important thing was you, the, the message came through your body and your voice to another person. <laughs> you know, just piece of piece of thing, <laughs> you know, written down is like, well, who's that? <laughs> but it's your body, your voice, with all its tones and qualities presents itself and the other person hears it, feels it, gets the face, gets the body language, gets the whole multi-dimensional thing. So everything, sacred stuff, never written down. Not until uh, four or five hundred years after the time of the Buddha they they start actually writing this stuff down. Most of it's just you speak it, you chant it. You don't even speak it. Uh, because it's too sacred to chant, you have to use your whole body. To speak, you just use you know lips, tongue, bit of your throat. Chant, you'll use your belly, your chest, your shoulders, your back. You're going to open, and then okay, now you mean it. <laughs> you didn't just mumble it. You, now you mean it. You're really putting it out there. And some things can only can only be. Um, done that way, yeah. It can only be expressed like that. And because in that we we offer this something something in us, our heart, our very breath, and our most personal aspect is our voice. Yeah. And it's just there and gone. There and gone. And that's also beautiful. Yeah. There and gone. And then we hear it, and then we chant together. You know, you use your ears. This amazing thing happens called harmony, which you couldn't figure out. You can't say you this you you you, you just do it, and you use your ears, and the voices start to wobble around, and then they find each other, and they start to blend. Yeah. And then we to. And harmony is, is an exquisite experience. I think something we yearn for in our relationships with others, with the world in general, with our own bodies, just to be not, just to not be struggling or resisting, but just to live in harmony. You know, isn't that one of the most fundamental longing? And it, it, it you know, uh, so this is what uh, chanting is about.
just touching that experience. And in that you, even though the words are saying something, you know, Yoso, Bhagawa, what your voice carries is its joyfulness, its depth, its aspiration, its carrying heart. Whatever the words are saying, when you chant, it carries what's in your heart, even your sadness or anger. It's just... Mm. It's the most uh, true thing we can do in a way. Uh, so reading a... Uh, story by a, a South African Zen teacher called Anthony Anthony Osler. He, he lives in a place in South Africa called the Karoo. Karoo it's like a sem- desert, pretty much near desert. Uh, and he's got a kind of a, a farm there. What farm? A farm, homestead. So it's very, very arid. Mm. Uh, and it's remote. And he does. A, he has a zendo there. So he also acts. He used to. He does still serve as a as a lawyer, civil lawyer. Used to be a human rights lawyer in South Africa. He settles labour disputes. Disputes. He settles that kind of thing. That's his job. And he also does arzen and teaches arzen. He was. So he was driving back, for, I guess, from the city to his place in the in the Karoo Desert, which is way off track and then he's driving along hour after hour and he starts to recognize his, his little buggy's running out of gas so okay this is a gas station pulls in pulls on yeah nobody around stuck you know it's pretty remote and waits for a while and eventually some lad comes out from under a tree because it's blazing hot so he's been sitting under a tree okay what do you want okay yeah right okay starts putting gas in the car. They get to talking about this, that and the other, you know. Where are you going? I'm going home. Oh yeah, you look like you're going home. You've got it in your eyes. You've got that look going home look, you know. They talk about this and that. And, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the lad says, oh yeah, this week's wages I'll be able to buy my, my little sister address because she's going to graduate at school and I can use my wages to make sure she looks really good at the graduation ceremony and uh, Tony says oh yeah I've been to those it's just so beautiful when you see all the families who've struggled and scrimped and saved and begged and loaned to get enough money to put their kids through school and then when they get to this graduation everybody's just singing and dancing because they're just so happy to have their kids go graduate and uh and he says yeah my sister she's going to be there he says yeah and i i gotta wear the i gotta wear the proper clothes i got a good jacket but i'm yeah i've got any proper pants yet you know you need the black pants and so look good i haven't got those yet but i'm gonna wait wait so uh, 
Anthony goes to the back of his car, opens his boot, pulls out a pair of black pants, says, here. Oh, okay. Your lad says, just don't, don't move, don't move. Stay there. Disappears. Comes back, he's got the black jacket, the black pants on. And he stands under the tree and he just opens his chest and he sings. <laughs> and he sings the Italian ar- aria, <laughs> which he's learned. <laughs> and that's his, <laughs> that's his gift, you know. <laughs> That's rather you say, oh, thanks very much. Oh, you shouldn't have. Oh, well, I'm, I don't really want to, you know, the kind of embarrassed <laughs> things that people can do. It's just... <laughs> and some things you can only do with singing because <laughs> it's just the heart opener. Mm. So when with the chanting, really just to be conscious of those feelings of not getting it right or my voice isn't very good or, you know, what's this all mean, just... Just open up and <laughs> and uh, yeah. it's not an Italian aria. <laughs> it's fairly sedate. <laughs> yeah. So with this, um, you know, the fullness of it when we cultivate like this is we we use our bodies. We make an offering, yeah, to the Buddha, and so. Uh, Clearly, the Buddha, uh, we have a statue. The Buddha, we bear in mind the sense of the awakened intelligence, the purity, the clarity, the, you know, the vastness of the Buddha mind, the Buddha heart, Buddha awareness. You know, so we offer ourselves and we use simple things. Here we can use some water, because water represents harmony and compassion. We offer that. Then we offer the flowers, which represent uh, virtue. So there's an opening and unfolding that represent virtue. And when we do this, we are really becoming sangha. You know, the the, the assembly, the followers, and then it's our joy. Um, you know, at, uh, 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 the occasions we can offer, we offer our aspiration, the commitment, our endeavour. And in that gesture together, then we are becoming sangha, and we see, you know, seeing ourselves, seeing each other as sangha, those who aspire and commit and practice towards awakening, Mm. Uh, and then bow. So it's a bowing again, very full body offering. Mm. So this is the you know, the little formal piece. And then we'll begin with the opening, which is the dedication of offerings. And take that down through... Mm. to the end of your the, your second sheet. Yeah. After which, um, going to Dongshu uh, is going to request the three refuges and the eight precepts on behalf of the group, um, and then we'll go through that uh, um, 
some in Pali, some in English, some in both. So I think this evening we'll perhaps start on the easy way using the English uh, for the dedication of offerings. So it's a very full and you bring whatever you're offering to the heart and then to the head. So it's both with heart and also with one's uh, intelligence. And at that moment you might, as you do that, you might very well bring forth a thought such as, you know, this is for my loved ones or for the welfare of others or may I realize awakening or, you know, so you can crystallize a thought moment, an aspiration moment as you bring your offering up. There's that point, the occasion. This is to the Buddha. You make the offering. And then bring your hands together. And similarly, when you bow, you have the hands first of all of the heart. So the heel of the hands of the heart, and then up to the, the forehead. And you can sweep, sweep down the body as you bow. between the, um, the teacher and the, and the disciples so that the teacher doesn't impose. There's a request and a response to a request. And that's, that's the way the teaching always sh- should occur, that there's an invitation and then there's a response rather than... <laughs> <laughs> so we, that's, we act relationally <laughs> in, this, uh, in this Dhamma. opportunities of uh, retreat is to cultivate uh, renunciation. Mm. Uh, Renunciation, the aim of it is to make life simpler and uh, and also to redirect energy. Um, So, you know, when we uh, as we open our eyes, we look around, we are definitely experiencing a world that appears in front of our senses. The visual world, the auditory world, tactile world, 
of these phenomena arise and there's a, a lot of activation that occurs around that you know, push pull uh, you know focusing intentionality uh, towards that sensory realm and um, uh, in that uh, pleasure pain can arise uh, and what we learn over time <laughs> is it isn't always so good <laughs> uh, you know that uh, the the the, the uh, messages of the sensory world or what we receive from it uh, are subject to uh, delusion and confusion and definitely seduction and consumerism uh, so you not the sensory world is what it is, but it's a particular program uh, that's embedded in the in the chitta that gets us very agitated uh, one way or another about it, you know, passionate or uh, worried or uh, depressed. Uh, so it stirs. And um, in cultivation, there's a recognition of you know, the mind, chitta can can kind of clear that push-pull system is occurring in its, within it called tanha or craving or clinging adopting the sensory world so that the jitta can clear that 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 habit of getting involuntarily stirred and dragged and pushed and pulled by it mm. but this definitely takes quite a bit of training practice and support mm. so in using a renunciation form we're you actually think, well, actually, let's just put some boundaries in, uh, and um, which will, you know, contain our energies. So uh, and they're, they're not, um, you know, damaging or, or ascetic, but just restraining. Mm. So in clearly things like restraining from internet, you know, um, restraining the speech, restraining bodily action. You know, uh, and restraining is not a great <laughs> popular notion, <laughs> uh, but it, it occur. It can occur because if we are cultivating, uh, there's a certain deepening and warming uh, of the heart that makes it possible. We begin to see, yeah, it's possible to feel rich and fulfilled um, in the heart and even in our own body. The body is steady and relaxed and comfortable. Then. I really need to get my feel-good stuff out there. I've got it right here. And this is definitely good advantage because it doesn't cost anything for starts. <laughs> uh, and it, it, it means the energies themselves are also they're to be carefully uh, collected and soothed and steadied so we become uh, stronger as well. Because uh, uh, energy is not ricocheting or getting ragged or you know, going every which way so it becomes more unified there's a certain strength of energy and happiness that can occur that means we, we the jitta gets bigger and richer than the sense world so here we use this these forms to um, train ourselves to encourage ourselves during this retreat period and then clearly you know, when the form retreat period is over, then you follow what seems appropriate in terms of your own standards. But just knowing that you can, and you know, you can switch things off and disconnect. And, you know, it can be a bit 
difficult at first, but there are good results from it. Gives you a certain confidence and strength and, and self-respect. Mm. So this is what we cultivate, and it's considered to be like an offering occasion. Mm. To to renunciation makes you strong and sets you free. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. So here we are, um, the, the, the five moral precepts to refrain from killing, stealing, lying, uh, cheating and so on. And the renunciation precepts take it a bit further, refraining from any intention, intentional sexual activity. Um, so I think certainly in, in a kind of Western culture this can have a, a kind of a puritanical or guilt or quality, tonality to it. But it's actually very just pragmatic, really, uh, and and certainly when one recognises just the the amount of abusive stuff that happens sexually, it would be a good idea if people <laughs> did, you know, learn to handle this stuff because you know, obviously in appropriate situations it can be very uh, bonding and warming, but a lot of damage gets done through this stuff. <laughs> Uh, you know, a lot of damage, abuse and violation and, you know, rape and, you know, all kinds of horrible things get done through this, not, people not having any sense of, you know, collecting and gathering and, and being wise. So, you know, and the quality of, of uh, sexual restraint if it can be fulfilled, means the energy is channeled um, through the whole body, particularly up the spinal channel. If certain um, the energy goes, if it's skillfully handled, tend to rise and strengthen the body, and the energy level is kept very steady. Whereas with sexual activity, you get strong waves up, you get strong euphoric bursts, and so forth. It's very you know, um, agreeable, but it goes up big wave. But here we're, we're saying, okay, this is more like steady state. And that steadiness, when the mind's energy is held steady, perhaps we can see things more clearly. There's less upheaval, there's less waves. Yeah. And obviously there's still plenty of waves left. <laughs> you know. Uh, so we just think, okay, now we can see perhaps subtler things and, and learn how to uh, rather appreciate the steadying energy, and not, not as a kind of shutting off energy or cramping it, but actually steadying it and smoothing it and grooming it. So it, we use the body as our, as our uh, laboratory or our place for spreading energy through the entire bodily form then it becomes a source of warming and, and uh, um, happiness in the body, the whole body. And then you just can stay in steady state for a long period with that. This is the principle of samadhi you know, as a resource for practitioners. And, if you, and you don't really, you know, you don't, get samadhi, you don't have samadhi without renunciation, or without what renunciation does. It redirects uh, energy mm, and steadies it. So in the retreat, we're picking up that theme, the way we move, 
the silences, the softness of the way we open and close doors, you know, the sense of operating a kind of orderly way so that things are kept smooth and steady. And, you know, when she, and, really, uh, and then chanting in a kind of steady way. So this becomes a kind of a, a reference point, energetically a reference point that we uh, then becomes much more, um, you know, an embodied sign. You can feel it. And then you can also notice when you're getting tight or rattled or tense or, you know, agitated or constricted or dull. I mean, hey, what's going on? And, you know, coming back into the body. So you've got something that you can begin to recognize um, the afflictive or uh, defective energies that are running, um, often associated with difficult mind states such as um, doubt, worry, uh, negativity, you know, things of this nature, where we just feel very uncomfortable. So the more we can cultivate this steady energy, the more we've got something we can take our our worry to and drop it into that. You know, we can take our anxiety and drop it into that pool. We can take our impatience and drop it into that that pool, and then oh, and it begins to, you know, um, absorb and and smooth out these um, residues that we carry from our lives. Mm. So I'll just practice together um, some uh, a little guided settling meditation. <coughs> 